Hello, and welcome to the Court of Outlets podcast. I'm Joe. Normally, we're a comic podcast that uploads weekly, where you can check the show notes for which comics we cover that week and their timestamps so that you can skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or just aren't interested in reading. In this episode, as you may have noticed from the title, we'll be talking about Gotham's dazzling songbird, Robin. And with that intro out of the way, we're just going to jump right into it. So... Overall, for me especially, I, because I cannot speak for Muse or V, I did not really feel anything about this story. It was very eh for me overall. I enjoyed maybe two or three stories out of what we've gotten. Oh, so like the whole 100-page issue, you didn't really like that much? No, not really. The thing about these anthologies is they don't seem to have like a lot of groundbreaking new things. They're kind of going over old ground because they're just trying to show like highlights of the characters. Yeah, I mean, like they definitely did have some good aspects. Like uh, a couple of the stories did have that very '90s, early 2000s art style, which I definitely enjoyed. That Dan Jurgens seeing his art again. Oh, oh my gosh! But I don't know. Like it starts off with the. The one Robin story with Dick Grayson. I'll actually let Muse talk about it because she has much more nice things to say about it than I do. (laughs) I do. As many of you, if you've been listening for a while or just can kind of tell, I love Robin, especially the third Robin, Tim Drake, which we'll get more into that when we get into later Tim's stories. But I, unlike Joe over here, I found this entire issue a breath of fresh air (laughs) and much needed i felt like it was a really good just story all these stories some of them were and most of them were just pretty solid i didn't have any issues with any of them except one was a little weird but the first one we started out with was uh it was called a little nudge it was written by marv wolfman and uh tom gromit who is the original artist for the 90s robin run is the artist for this little um, story, and it focuses on, it's kind of like Dick Grayson's transition from being Robin to Nightwing. It's that kind of the huge argument. I felt it was a really interesting story. I didn't like it at first because I was like, okay, they're writing Batman a little harsh. V seems to agree with me over here. Well, I mean, yeah, of course they were. And they it's that classic, oh, well, he was pushing him away. He's he's mean because he loves his kids. And, I, and then I it was going into, that. like, that, like, I had to push him away so he can be his own man. I The man I knew that he can be. I think it was a nicer version of what actually happened in the comics. Because from what I know, it seemed to be a, not a really good split of Dick Grayson leaving uh, Wayne Manor and like marching off to do his own thing and become Nightwing from what I have seen but I don't remember there being a kid who was shot and Batman's like don't look at him don't talk to him come over here and help me fight people don't when just I leave say the come, kid alone you come <laughs> when I tell you to heal you heal this isn't a <laughs> partnership you are my sidekick like it was it was really over the top, though. I don't know. It definitely was a lot more calmer in terms of, like, their conversation when Robin left compared to, like, the original argument that they had. Because that was more of a shouting match. 
because that I don't believe they ever actually resolved, not even until like nightfall. I think that's why I liked this because I I've never actually read the old issues of the huge explosive uh fight between Bruce and Dick, but I think this was kind of their way of being like, you know what? We've never actually resolved that after a really long time, so this is kind of our way of resolving like why Bruce did what he did. But there was just some bits of it that were a little... It makes him almost worse, though. If he's, like... If they weren't just having, like, a split in ideology, it's him having, like... It's him being so emotionally constipated, he can't be like, Hey, do you want to go move on and do your own things as an adult? No, no, he has to manipulate him into hating him. But if you think about it, it's a very Batman thing, and... I think he wanted Dick to make his own decision. Well, it's, it's, again, it's more of, like, that pushing. It's the loving his son, but, like, from afar. Not really, like, vocally expressing how you're feeling. And also not very, like, physically showing how you're feeling by pushing him away and, like, trying to get him down this path that you want him to go down as if it's part of your plan all along. There's been a lot of interpretations of Batman over the years. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I didn't enjoy this one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't enjoy this. It was a very lackluster for me, like, introduction into this special. <laughs> but you liked it, so that's good. I felt like the, the concept, the concept of it was interesting, showing a different side of the story. The execution was a little rocky. Just, just a bit. Though I went in this just kind of blind, like, just completely rose-tinted glasses about I love Robin. They can tell. (laughs) Can definitely tell. Like, I'm going to love every part of this no matter what because it's Robin. Next story was called Aftershocks, and it was written by Chuck Dixon, and the artist was Scott McDaniel. Which we were all very excited for when we heard Chuck Dixon was going to be on this. So, I love the art. That was one of my favorite things. Like, this was very 90s, like like I said before, very 90s, early 2000s, like, feel to it. And it brought me back to a couple of the Nightwing comics I actually do have, and I just got, like, a couple years ago. So, shout out to Scott McDaniel. Yes. Very nice job. And very nice job with Chuck Dixon. It was definitely a very, like, oh, I definitely recall reading at least three of these types of stories before. Very much like what V was saying in the beginning about how it's more kind of like highlights of past stories, saying like, hey, like, we've done this before already, but we're going to show it to you guys again. I didn't like or dislike this one. It was just, it was a story. It was night, it was Dick Grayson as Nightwing, saving people on a bridge. Very much like kind of showing, um, like, you know, the job's never done. Like, it was one thing after the other. I felt, unlike some of the other ones, there wasn't as much heart, even though, like, the last one was a little, yeah. there was that intention of being emotional with a lot of these, with them, trying to get that emotional connection. This one was just... But the emotional reaction they tried to get was showing you a very, very improbable way of how childbirth is going to work in a swinging vehicle. <laughs> Okay, I know we weren't going to recap, but I'm going to recap because I'm the fastest of you both. So here's what happens. There is a, a paramedic and she's like, help, 
Nightwing, help me. And I guess there's somebody in the car. So she's in the car. It doesn't show her getting in the car, but she's in the car. And he's like hooked up like a winch or something to it. And he's swinging the car. And then he says, are you two okay in there? And she goes, three now. And there's a woman holding a newborn swaddle baby. Was my copy missing a page? Because did she just have a baby while she was swinging in midair in a taxi cab that was hanging by the trunk, by the way? So this is more perilous than most of those roller coaster rides that you could be on. And you're telling me on the equivalent of a slow roller coaster ride, upside down in her seatbelt, a woman gave birth to a baby and she is calm and collected, holding the perfectly clean swaddled baby to her perfectly clothed chest, going... Oh, thanks. There's three of us now. We want to name him after you. There are so many things wrong. First of all, don't name your kid Nightwing. Don't name your kid Dick. Second of all, (laughs) if that woman wasn't the driver of the taxi cab, don't pick up a rag you found in a cab, especially in a city like Gotham. Taxi cabs are filthy to begin with. And you're going to just wrap your newborn baby that you somehow cut the umbilical cord, swabbed away the blood and all the other things that come out with a baby? Yeah, babies are filthy. Definitely use a rag. You're just taking off that one virus and all that other blood and everything with another. Listen, I don't think Chuck Dixon has ever witnessed a birth. That's all I can say. Actually, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm throwing um, Scott Dan- McDaniel under the proverbial taxi cab as well. He gets he gets it too. Like they both are in trouble for depicting a woman having birth in midair. Or she, she gave birth before, which is why the lady ran over to help her because she's like, "There's someone trapped in the taxi cab." But she said, "Now there are three. Like it was a surprise. Like I think the woman was in the process of giving birth as the car was going over the bridge. If she wasn't wearing a seatbelt, she was not in that car anymore. I felt this one was okay. I, I liked the 90s vibe it was giving, but I was expecting more from Chuck Dixon. Yeah, I think it was kind of a letdown for like a story by Chuck Dixon. Yeah, especially because it's been so long. So you're kind of like, what is he going to say? Does he have anything brewing that he's been wanting to tell? I thought it was more of like a spin on the classic tale. I was kind of hoping for him to write a Tim Drake story compared to a Dick Grayson story. But he did write Nightwing at the same time while writing Robin. So I wasn't as, I wasn't, when I flipped open, I was like, oh, so he wrote about Nightwing. I'm a little sad, but. Like, I I did enjoy it. It it kind of, it did remind me of like that Dick Grayson trying to keep up the positivity as he's improvising because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's kind of parallels to Spider-Man a little bit. I give it like a three out of five. It was eh. Yeah. Three out of five Robins. That's the ratings that we're going with. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It was a solid Tim Drake. Solid Tim Drake. (laughs) Average. Wait, so who's five? Is that just, if it's like the best story, it's Damien? I was just going by like actual like Robin numbers. So like... One star would be a Dick Grayson, two would be a Jason, three is a Tim, four is a Steph, and five is a Damien. That's all <laughs> off. That's completely... It's all off, but... Uh, okay, we'll just stick or with Robins. Or we can Robins. go reverse, where five's... Mm, five's a Damien? No, five's... No, five's... I mean, one, one's a Damien. <laughs> one's definitely a Damien. Steph is two. Wait, 
Steph is too? We're going backwards, of course. Oh, okay. We're going, we were we're going backwards. I thought so we were rating number, Robins for a second. <laughs> num- number five out, five out of five Robins would be a Dick Grayson. Honestly, yeah. Dick Grayson's tops. Sorry. Sadly, though, That's Tim right. stays in the average star <laughs> rank. <laughs> My boy's average. <laughs> so the third story is Nightwing with the Titans called Team Building by Devin Grayson. No relation. And the art was by Dan Jurgens and Norm Ratland. And I loved seeing Dan Jurgens' line art for this. Brought me right back to 90s Superman. I loved it. This story, though, is another like very like, oh, to be a good leader, just do everything. It really didn't show the team very much, did it? It wasn't even the actual team. It was a simulation. I don't really know, but they made it sound like this was the team. I couldn't really tell, or they mentioned something about we've done this in simulations. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, I think that was it. I think they fought the team, but they've practiced a scenario in simulations. And it, it just showed this kind of like the strength of the Titans teamwork and their ability to really, like Nightwing's ability to adapt the team. He switched Donna and um, Garth. Garth because he knew the technology that they would have on them to purposefully make sure that their weaknesses weren't exploited. Uh, Arsenal took out other things. It was just like Dick Grayson and his quick-witted thinking and also his leadership and the ability to get them to work together because Hive was not. Hive was the exact opposite. Didn't know each other. They stressed that a lot. They were saying, they're like, well, first I thought it was just hilarious because it was just that... Oh, well, you know, that Nightwing, he sure is a leader. He's there with his teammates. You barely even know us, Damien Dark. <laughs> but that Nightwing, gosh, like, he knows how to lead. I did like Damien Dark's sarcasm about, like, so what happened to the, um, that gel stuff? And it's like, uh, Arsenal shot it. That's why I told you to put it, like, take him out first. I thought it was alphabetized. Why would I alphabetize it? It was just... The Scar, I'm surrounded by morons meme with Damien Dark just surrounded by idiot Hive members, which I found kind of funny, but pushed the envelope a little too much. And then, of course, Nightwing swoops in. Undercover the whole time. And back to what I was saying, to be a good leader, just do everything yourself and then show your team what they should do. Yeah, it was definitely like comparing hands-on-ness and showing that he's... One of the people, which was fine. I mean, as far as the message goes, it was a little bit shallow, but like in terms of action and like a story that had a beginning, middle, and end, I was like, yeah, that was a story. I sure read that. I may have skimmed a few pages, but. I wanted to skim, honestly. I was reading out my. I really. Damien's not saying anything of worth here. <laughs> Listen, it wasn't that bad. I think he just had too high of hopes. I guess. I don't know. But it was better than the next one, which was uh, Dick Grayson, Agent 37, Lesson Plan by Tim Seeley and Tom King, V's favorite. And all I have to say is, what the fuck, Tom King? (laughs) You closeted furry bastard. It's going to be on the bingo card. Did he make some offhand reference to being a furry? Okay, this was my least favorite. 
This is my second least favorite. It was one of my least favorites. The, the, the messages, it was like paralleling Batman's messages that he tried to teach Dick Grayson. And Dick was like, I'm going to do the opposite because I do the opposite of everything Batman does. But in the end, I still follow Bruce. And you're like, this was dumb. Batman's exact orders, quote unquote, were to never follow your leader, do the opposite. Which doesn't sound like Batman, does it? No. <laughs> no, everything else sounded fine until the very end with that line and Dick Grayson. Sleeping with a gorilla. Even if, though he didn't know she was a gorilla. No, he walked off and was like, looked at his agent partner, shrugged, and then went off with the gorilla lady. Like, oh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And she had him dressed like a prostitute. Like, she had him in a real revealing uh, loincloth. Like, a real thin one. That was Tarzan on the upside of the jungle city. What the heck? <laughs> That's if Tarzan crashed off the ship of royalty. He was in a very revealing outfit, and he was carrying a spear at one point, and I just couldn't stop looking at, like, I why thought for was sure this a choice? In this, in this scenario, they were going to do whatever they could to show off that Nightwing ass, and they didn't. Showed off the other side. They really showed that Dick Grayson. You just need one stray wind, and you would have seen everything. <laughs> also, the story just moved... Very awkwardly placed. It just jumped from thing to thing to thing. And it was just pretty much, there wasn't even a cohesive story. It was just the different lessons, quote unquote, that Bruce taught him coming back as he's teaching the new agent. Yeah. And it was very weird because, like, you kind of needed some context, like, for the Agent 37 storyline. Because she's referencing the matron. Then she's saying, I thought you were a gym teacher as they're in a plane. And I'm like, why would you think he's a gym teacher? You're in a plane. Because and then he's so fit. Gym teachers don't go in planes, but apparently there's a backstory there. So you're like, well, I'll just ride with it. The only thing I saw of Agent 37 was when I was reading the Batgirl run from Campbell, Babs Tar art. She drew him real sexy. She was really into that relationship between the two of them when he, everyone thought he was dead and he was Agent 37. But I never really figured out what was he was doing over there. So he takes this girl, Skull Girl or whatever, and they're going to go fight off some Atlanteans, I guess. And they find a girl who turned coat, but she says, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I was just trying to show that the Atlanteans are being oppressed by surface dwellers here. And they went, oh, okay. And then they just went and... and went off with her and then like the it's like a cutscene and the next scene like they're all together but there's some weird implication that something went down with the gorilla something was shaking the trees in jungle city and it's just like it kept cutting and you're like wait i thought you were how did we go from we're gonna arrest you to we're now we're in gorilla city and uh you're sleeping together like that's such a leap and he's bringing the little agent along with him. It's not like he ran off. No, she's involved. And it's like, who does that? <laughs> Reminded me a bit of the pacing in the Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen comics by Matt Faction right now. Like, it's very, like, 
they seem like all little stories with like just that one main line of Dick's trying to teach his partner some lessons here. But we're going to travel all over the world to get the whole point across. Can I just wash my brain out? I was not a fan of that. I, I was also just very shocked to see that Tom King was writing uh, a Robin story. I didn't. I never read Agent 37. I wasn't reading DC Comics at the time, or any comics at the time of uh, New 52, when they released Agent 37. I just remember seeing, like, oh, Dick Grayson's no longer Nightwing. I was like, oh, well... That's not real me back in. So the next story that we actually have is the Jason Todd because Dick Grayson, I guess because he's so beloved, he got four stories. Poor Jason got just one. Just one! Got shafted so hard. I mean, so did Steph, but also... Okay, she was barely Robin. Yeah, and I think that's what they kind of were trying to do here too is like if you want to go through how many years like each one of them was a robin dick was robin the longest so okay i get it he's the first robin he's the one everybody knows he's the one that had all these different versions of himself and if you want to break it down even more because i was just thinking about he was robin from 1940s to the 80s he was 40 years one story for each decade maybe maybe because Jason, I think it was only three years. 83 to 80, 85. Which would be why Tim has two stories and not yeah, one. Two decades. And why Steph only has one because she's the shortest at like mm-hmm. less than a year or about a year. And Damien only has two right now because that was all the rest he could fit. Exactly. Plus, that's he's current Robin. so More time for stories to be written about him. Exactly. But I will also say I just similar to the Flash seven fifty, I do love like these little pinups uh covers in between the Robins, but the Robin eightieth, the pinups are old Robin covers and different covers like Red Hood and the Outlaws or Batman Hush covers and it is just very nice to see like these little throwbacks. Uh we're just actually gonna start getting into the Jason Todd Red Hood, called More Time, written by Judd Winnick, and the art was by Dustin Wen. I was taken aback because Dustin Wen, as most of us know, he is very well known for his watercoloring, especially his story, Little Gotham. There was no watercolor in this story, so that threw me off. You can still tell us his style. I don't know, something with like his style on digital art, it doesn't really mix as well i don't think it's that i think that listen i don't want to call anyone out she says as she calls someone out john calise did the colors and he definitely did a cut and paste job he threw on very simplistic colors over the top he colored in robin's eyes at some point where the white should be with skin tone so he kind of looked like he had like beady shark eyes you could just see the pupils like sunken in and then other times he did color in the whites, but sometimes he would color the whites like really wide and droopy. Yeah, I noticed that. It just kind of made it seem very inconsistent, but if you look at the inks themselves, they are loose, but they are more consistent than the coloring. So this is a case of the colors actually working against the artist, and I'm not sure if it was like his choice where he was just like, look, I can turn in black and white, I can't turn in colors. 
I mean, you brought up a good point with Little Gotham. If I could have done my ideal, I would have had them do a Little Gotham story. Oh, yeah. Because that would have been Absolutely. so cute. They were all adorable, especially because I had just recently purchased a couple 5x7s from Dustin Wen that uh, he was going to be selling at his booth at Emerald City Comic Con, but because a lot of these comic conventions are closing, he put them up on his shop with free shipping. Thank you again, Dustin. I love my Young Justice trio. I got Superboy, I got Tim Drake, and I got Bart Allen in Pulse, and they are amazing. I also posted them on my Instagram, at JoeCOAlex. They're amazing. And I really do love his art, and it, the sketches are very similar to Little Gotham style. And that was really what I was expecting to see when I saw that he was going to be one of the artists in this story along with you know doing the covers for it yeah he's a good writer and i mean if you look at little gotham like he could have done the writing the art and the coloring and it would have just come out really nice but i do like the writing for this story it starts out kind of jason giving bruce a present and it's a watch that he had fixed that was bruce's dad but he wasn't completely fi finished with it uh he was like i'm gonna finish fixing it and I promise to give it to you when it's done. And one of the things he says while he's talking about this watch, because it's one of those watches that work when it's connected to, like, heat and skin. If not, you have to wind it. And Jason says, it needs to be with, with you all the time or needs a lot of attention when it isn't. This watch is paralleling his relationship and the need that he needed as Robin. He needed that attention, and I don't think Bruce really gave him all of it when he was Robin, and then it goes to kind of like the present day with Jason as Red Hood leaping across the buildings, and he's kind of like in a rush, and you see him in front of a car, which is also interesting because that's how he became Robin. He took the wheels off the Batmobile, and sitting mm -hmm. on the Batmobile is the actually fixed watch that he gave to Bruce. It just touched me a lot. That was a really sweet story. There wasn't too much wording, and there wasn't too much crazy stuff going in the background. It was a very simplistic, sweet mm -hmm. story. And it touched on Jason and Bruce's relationship really well, and kind of like who Jason was as Robin. And that's all I needed. That was, that was great. It was very cute to see, like, young Jason as Robin, because that's something I never really got to see much of, except in, like, the Batman Hush stories, and also the Under the Red Hood story. I was kind of cracking out to myself a little bit because I'm like, if this was the Batman that was written by Marv Wolfman from the first story, he would have been so aggressive at seeing his father's watch <laughs> as a birthday gift. Like, first he steals my Batman tires, now he's going after my father's watch. <laughs> I really liked it, though. Like, that characterization was like, he was very patient with him. Like, he already knows this kid is jumpy. This kid is jumpy as hell. And that is how he was when Batman picked him up, you know? The kid was really, like, hostile. He was feral. <laughs> he was this little street urchin, and Batman was basically, like, teaching him that there wasn't anything to be scared of, that he was trustworthy. And it was a really sweet sort of callback to that. And there were, like, a, several things at play at that point when he presents the watch, and I was like, oh, shit, like, he stole his dad's watch. <laughs> like, Yeah, thank important. you. <laughs> He's like, and I fixed it, and I was like, Oh, like he's turning a bad memory into a good one and I was like but how does Batman respond and like he's just kind of stunned like 
and behind him, Alfred walks by like, he's been working on this for five weeks. And he's like, oh. For five months. He's so excited. He's describing all the different things he's tried and how they're not working or they did work. It was also really amazing to see how Jason even said that he built some of the pieces he thought the watch needed in order to work. Yeah, that was interesting. Because that didn't sound like something that he had taken an interest in before, but you're like, okay. Well, he's definitely, like, fascinated enough with this that he's making it his new hobby. Um, But I really liked, like I said, Batman's reaction. How he was very calm with him, he was very thankful and patient and sweet. And at the end, he tells Jason to keep it until he can fix it because Jason's still trying to figure it out and he doesn't want to, like, stop him. And that's not what I was expecting. I was expecting him to say, no, this is perfect, you know, I'll keep it with me. Yeah. But instead, he's like, no, you keep it and keep working on it. And it does give you this nice impetus to kind of be like, at the end, when Jason has figured out how to make the watch not rely on its owner sort of kind of how he's developed his own sort of brand of being a loner, (laughs) of being independent and not needing to rely on Batman. And so he kind of has a watch to match. He still gives it to him in this very sweet sort of like, there's that connection there where there is forgiveness, even if it's not like, it's it's not like he's he's saying, "I, I don't need you anymore, I'm independent. It's more of a soft like, thank you, you know? and remembering the good times. It's a very small story. It was very simplistic, but it definitely had a very quiet punch, a lot like the um, Tinian one in the Batman 1000. It was cute. It was definitely one of my top favorites in here. And bringing us to our next one, because that was our one and only story of Jason. And then we go right into Tim, third Robin, Muse's favorite, my favorite, well, one of my favorites. He's tied there with Dick. But we got Tim with Extra Credit, written by Adam Beechin, and the art by Freddie E. Williams, who I am a fan of his art. He does the art for uh, Batman and the Ninja Turtles. He did the art for He-Man and Master of the Universe versus Injustice. He also did it for the Infected Scarab part of the Year of the Villain event. And... I actually, this is the one I have the most notes for, which is a total of four bullets. I enjoyed this one a lot. I really enjoyed even seeing them reference how Bruce Wayne adopted Tim Drake. Because it's not something that I really get to see a lot in the comics. It's He's always more of just, you know, Tim Drake, not so much Tim Drake Wayne. I do remember it was a part that he did have, take the Wayne name. It was mainly Red Robin that he had to because... Bruce was gone, and he had to take over for Wayne. Exactly. And it was really cool to see the red and black costume for Tim, which, as we know, it was post-Infinite Crisis after the death of Connor, and he wore that outfit to mourn his best friend. I'm sorry, Tim. Esports is not a sport. (laughs) Moving quickly (laughs) along. (laughs) And it was really great. To see the Young Justice Core 4 of Connor, Cassie, Bart, and Tim on the one side of the tower paralleling with his other team after Connor and Bart's death with McGann and uh, Eddie Bloomberg, Kid Devil, Red Devil. And I just, I don't know, I'm a big fan of that Titans Tower design. Maybe it's because that's the one I grew up seeing when I was reading the Teen Titans comics from Jeff Johns, but... Uh, 
all that stuff is my favorite. I am a huge fan of references and Easter eggs and stuff like that. So all those little like tidbits and things just really make me enjoy the story more. But overall, the story was pretty much, you know, where you have this new character explaining everything that the main character already does without knowing that the main character does these things. Guidance counselor trying to give Tim Drake ideas for hobbies and extracurriculars that he can do after school because his grades are excellent. But if he wants to get into law enforcement, he needs to pick up some hobbies. I like that common trope. I know it's I know it's overused where like someone's like, you should be this. And then it shows like a flashback to them doing that. And they're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's a Spider-Man thing. It's it's so many like these characters who have like secret identities but I am a big fan of secret identities, unlike some people, and I think it <laughs> hey. to some really funny um, situations, and that one was like, it was mildly funny, but I was so distracted by the art, and it was so, the layouts were so creative, and he put so much into each page without it feeling crowded, really beautiful. And the color, I don't know how I feel about it. The colors were muddy, but they definitely looked like they were done traditionally, which, I don't know, gives you bonus points in my book if you do traditional art. I'm like, good job. That That's something we don't get to see every day. That's like a luxury. So even if they were a bit muddy, which you could definitely enhance digitally, you don't have to do it entirely traditional the whole way through. But I thought it looked really nice. And um, it was a pleasure to read, and I would like to read it again enjoyed this one so much like joe said there's those small details with his art he really definitely within only a couple of pages managed to encapsulate who tim drake was his visual expressions were very tim made me very happy the tropiness of i don't know what you're talking about does esports count and you're like tim i love you so much that you're able to like subvert your counselor because you know this like you know how to do this you've been taught this you've been doing this for a while with your friends they even mentioned at the end with the guidance counselor other secretary ladies comes in it was like oh yeah the other counselor had a hard time with that boy too there's just something about him like he's hiding his true potential but he knows it and he just doesn't he's trying to hide under the radar for a reason and while she's saying this he's changing into robin that was my favorite part, honestly. It's those little moments like that that I really like, yes, like, thank you. Like, it's not just something like inner character thing. Like, people notice this. Especially Tim, because Tim, to be honest, I'm sorry, I love Dick Grayson. And they showed a lot of Dick's good points. And then even Tinian in the next one kind of shows Dick's good points, but at the same time kind of shows it as a bit of a weakness, the whole fact of he's super Mr. Positive about everything and he never goes in with a plan because he's dick grayson but tim he he's smart he's big into science he's not as athletic as jason but he's still athletic they pinpoint all of his strengths and all of these things that encompasses tim drake because people kind of underestimate him as the third robin he's just as jason calls him the replacement which is still, like, so weird, too, because right after Dick Grayson, uh, Tim Drake has been Robin the longest. 
and yeah, as you know, current comics are going, Damien is slowly going to surpass Tim as being like the longest running Robin. But still, like Dick and Tim are two of the five Robins that everybody knows the most, and so much so that even in '90s Batman, they have pulled a lot of Tim's attributes and put them into Dick Grayson's Robin adaptation in that TV show. This one was so good. The art was really well done. I will agree with me that the colors were a little off in places, but... That is his style, though, because it does kind of match, like, his other works with, like, Batman, uh, Ninja Turtles, and uh, He-Man and Justice. That mixed medium kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it works for some stories, not all the stories. It You can definitely pinpoint his art right away. But with, like, listing off all those attributes of Tim, that is a perfect segue into the next story, which is written by our favorite James Tinian, which wrote a Red Robin story called Boy Wonders with the art by Javier Fernandez. And I am sorry, Muse, but it is not what you were hypothesizing last week. <laughs> Tinian didn't completely disappoint me. Honestly, like, maybe, again, like, because I'm not really used to Tinian's writing, but I really enjoyed this. I felt like he really encapsulated, like, the each of the Robins, like, attitudes, their dialogues, and especially capturing Tim. I thought he did a really good job with Tim. Well, Tim is his favorite Robin, so you could tell the love he put into getting into Tim's mindset, which he's done a very good job of doing that. He did a really good job with Detective Comics, so it do get get a little crazy at times. I know some people were a little upset with his interpretation of uh, Tim Drake in Detective, and you could see a little bit of that in this because it's the rebirth Tim, which is the only thing I was unhappy with. Why, Tinian? I love you, but why did you have to segue into your Detective comic story? I mean, the same way Tom King had to reference his Agent 37, it, you know, it's just something that's going to happen in, like, these milestone stories. But I really did enjoy that. I really loved his voice for Tim. I love that Dick is able to tell him, yeah, I can kind of beat you if you don't have time to prepare. But you're smarter. You are definitely smarter than me. You are a great leader. Uh, it was just so great. And just seeing the inner monologue that Tim has whenever describing Damien. <laughs> Total <laughs> Prince of Darkness and Horrible Gremlin. But also, like, it left me a bit of questioning. Like, I don't know if this is something that's tied into Tinian's Batman run. Because at the end of it, Tim is introducing to Batman what he calls the Gotham Knights Protocol. That was his, that segue into the beginning of Rebirth. Detective Rebirth. Oh, okay. Gotham Knights Protocol was Tim's program for Gotham. And then he got killed then came back and then initi started to initiate it again that's why you saw clayface which is why you saw batwoman and orphan and spoiler i think asriel might have been a part of that as well but that whole crew that you saw at the beginning of detective comics was tim's protocol maybe tinian's bringing some of that back with batman being influenced by tim yeah, so I was going to say, like, it's hard to tell because I do know, like, in Snyder and most of DC continuity, that is still current Tim. Like, he's still wearing, like, that Red Robin outfit compared to the Bendis verse where he's Robin, now he's Drake. But it's, that's why I was a little bit confused, like, because I'd never heard of Gotham Knights Protocol before. It was also just great to see 
the different advice. I will say that Damien was pretty straightforward with moving the plot, but going from positive leader Dick Grayson, and then you go to, I say fuck him, Jason Todd. <laughs> I did like the Jason bit a lot because the dick bit with uh, Tim was sweet because it showed their brothers. Like, they, they definitely have probably the strongest bond out of all the Robins. Jason and Tim have definitely gotten over. He mentioned the replacement thing. Like, yeah, he's not trying to kill me anymore over the... He's gotten over his own issues. I think we're on better footing. That was funny. But Damien, I was a little worried. I was like, oh, no. What is he going to do with Damien? His voice was for Damien was spot on. Like, I feel like from any other character speaking the way that Damien did, it was very straightforward. But... In, like, what I have read of Damien, that is how he talks sometimes. Just very, like, I'm just gonna shove the plot in your face. But they did a good job because they made... He was condescending. He's like, stop trying to listen to what everyone else says. Because you don't have the poster child, the black sheep, the son of Batman plastered on you, you can do whatever you want. A.K.A. Tim, you could get out. Like... You have more potential than all of us to get away from being a superhero, which we've seen, we kind of saw it like the in, even in Tinian's rebirth with him getting invited, like accepted to Ivy and saying he was going, but then he didn't. Tim probably is the only Robin who could actually put being Robin behind him and go do something good with all of his talents, as we saw in extra credit, as the, the, the counselor so aptly says, so many things Tim could do, but being robin instead i do know there were a lot of like during uh the beginning of new 52 a lot of people were expecting tim to kind of pick up the mantle as like the new oracle and kind of working more behind the scenes that way because he was more of like the techie robin out of them all and helping more alongside in that sense instead of keeping beating robin because then they're like wait a minute we have tim and we have damien how's that gonna work out but then and that was back all the way in 2011. I'm just going to disagree with both of you. and <laughs> I call it um, a mofadism. When you have a bunch of other characters telling the main character how great they are, and that's the point of the whole thing. And so there's Tim, and he apparently off-screen is asking each of the other Robins advice about what they think of him or something, because each of them... Is giving him a pep talk. Each of them is telling him how great he is, and until the very end with the protocol, and it's just like I've seen this so many times with like Doctor Who and Sherlock, and so many of these characters, where all the side characters join in to create a chorus of worship for the main character. You're Peter Pan. You're the greatest among us. You are the ultimate. You mean the semi or final season finales of The Flash? <laughs> Where you just, I'm just not fast enough. I can't beat him. I'm not fast enough. Yes, you are, Barry. Oh my gosh, you guys, you're right. I am fast enough. That's actually what they did in Supergirl, too, wasn't it? You're so amazing, Kara. You're better than Superman in so many ways. For one thing, you wear a skirt. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. I didn't like that show. Moving on. <laughs> no, it's just like that that whole thing. Like I said, there are some tropes that, you know, are very dear to your heart. Like the very stupid, like, 
one we talked about where he's just like, I have an alter ego and my alter ego can't reveal how cool I am, but you don't know that. You wish I were that cool, but you don't know secretly I am that cool. It's such a stupid trope, but I like it. It hits my sweet spot. This one is my kryptonite. I absolutely can't be near it. When everyone's praising the main character, I'm like, well, I hate that person now. How do you like that? Do you like that now? I hate you. Um, <laughs> do you live off of spite, B? I do live off of spite, but I also grew up on Spider-Man. See how that works? <laughs> I like the underdog. Thanks. It wasn't Spider-Man. I felt bad about that. <laughs> oh, not even I came up with that. Oh, it was so close, but off. Spider-Man is the underdog, and I like him that way. I like when wolf disadvantaged circumstances can rise up, and that's why I would have liked Jason Todd, except he's such an emo little whiner. I just can't deal with him half the time. He always makes such an entrance. He's to so dramatic. Every comic. And it's like, sir, <laughs> sir, where is all this energy coming from? Please, <laughs> please take your shoes off at the door, like every civilized person. You're paying for that window, sir. This is a private party. Anyways, he's just, he's a silly person, and they're all silly people, so I have to remind myself whenever I see Jason, I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm over it. He's a silly person. I'm sorry, I was thinking about the Penguin arc, not in this episode, this issue, because he was perfect in this issue. He was over-the-top flamboyant, love that. He's definitely the sort of person who'd be like, listen, kid, so he like puts his foot up on the couch, let me tell you about life, pulls out a cigarette. Life sucks, and then it kills. And then they were like, here's Dick. He's happy, and he has a butt. Look at him doing the split kick. Look at his butt. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, there it is. And then there's Damien, and Damien felt off to me. Like, the weird, like, praise of, of, of Tim. The weird, like, let me tell you everything you're thinking. Let me explain your entire character to you. And I was like, do you have to? I don't like that. I don't like Damien being like, let me be your life coach. Come here, child. Let me tell you everything that's going on in your head because I have deep insight into the human psyche. I'm like, that's not, that's not Damien. <laughs> I did like that Damien called it Ivy, Col or Ivy University, which before I start making a fool of myself, is that a real place? Or did he just think that the Ivy League colleges are all no. called Ivy University. No, it's called IVU in the DC universe. Uh, it's just a it's just a mix it. of all the Ivy universe like Ivy League schools. It's the best college. It's an Ivy Town. Ivy Town in um Maryland or Rhode Island. That's actually where Ray Palmer is a professor. Well now I'm disappointed because that would have been funny if because I like when he gets things about modern culture wrong, but he speaks with such authority. That's one of my favorite things about Damien. He's like, I know everything. I know all about this Ivy University. And I was going to be like, oh, he thinks they're all one unit. They are. Aw. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> but speaking of sounding stupid, we have our next story. Nice segue. Uh, which is the worst. This is the one out of five Robins here. It is based on Stephanie Brown, who is mainly known as spoiler she was batgirl and for a very short time she was a robin she was the fourth robin 
in this story called Fitting In by Amy Wolfram and the art by Damien Scott. The art immediately reminded me of early 2000s. It brought me back to this Wonder Girl miniseries that was not good. Basically saying that women in men's clothing ends up looking like She-Hulk. <laughs> you know those curves, they don't fit in trousers. They just kind of burst out at the seams. I love how the first thing that rips is because she goes to, like, jump up. The first thing that rips is right down where her, like, her chest is. And you're like, really? That was the immediate thing. I have cleavage bursts and other feminine body jokes. And then, like, thigh rips. And you're like, mm. I've never in my life heard of a woman ripping something with her thighs, especially men's clothing. The only thing I can think of is because Robin and most superhero outfits are so skin tight. And they have bulgy Tim... muscles. I've seen them. Not Tim though. Tim was more of like he's he lean was muscle, like he kind yeah he's kind of has like that speedster body where like they're leaned and toned. Well, if she was a fatty, she wouldn't have gotten in his outfit. I'm just also, saying, guys. Keep in mind, even around this time when Tim is no longer Robin, or he changed over to his other Robin outfit, I forget when it's going. Oh no, he just stopped. He just stopped being Robin at this time. While Tim was Robin during Young Justice and during Teen Titans, Tim was like five five or five six tim is short and i think if i recall steph is taller than him tim was around five five because connor at that time was five seven her trying to fit into his outfit might actually be kind of accurate she can't fit in it because he's actually it could <laughs> except there is a much different way of depicting that compared to what we were given they don't burst at the thighs <laughs> and secondly you would okay. First of all, it's too baggy in certain places. It really was. And then all of a sudden, it like rips, and you're like, okay, so it's not stretchy. It's some burlap he's wearing because what else would rip at the seams? Things don't do that. Just unclasps down the middle, and then she's like, kind of like squishing it together too to cover it up. And like Batman's like, yeah, you're you're battle ready. Wear that disgusting thing. <laughs> And Why? immediately he's like, Tim never had to do a costume change. It's like, yeah, Bruce, Tim designed it. There's no way Bruce would be that low IQ. As he's throwing batterings at this teenage girl trying to cover herself up. It was weird. Like, I don't know if I want to blame the art, the writer for this, who's a woman herself and the artist, because it... it uh... It irked me. Like, I'm not a big fan of Steph. Like, I, I, mm, I, I know V agrees. We're not big fans of Steph. But she deserved a little bit better of a story than this. Everyone deserves a better story than this. I will blame both the writer and the artist. Because, listen, men not all the time know how to write men right. Women don't know how to write women right all the time. It's just a way of life. Not everyone can depict everybody perfectly. Listen... Amy Wolfram is a TV writer. She's written things you love. She's written Teen Titans, and she's written Teen Titans Go. She's written on Legion of Superheroes. But this was, e I can't understand if this was either like a bad stab at feminism or if this was just a, the other side of it where it's just like, yeah, women in clothes, am I right? The 
the two mortal enemies of all time. <laughs> and it just ends with, you're right, I have to let you be your own Robin. She's like, yeah! And he's like, that's why I'm giving you a changing room. It felt so out of place, considering most of these stories. Like, yeah, I wasn't a fan of Tom King's, but at least he was trying to at least kind of have a emotional, sort of emotional story with the referencing back to him being Robin, and now he's Agent 37. There was nothing emotional or heartfelt or anything that made you want to, like, connect or, like, laugh about this. This made you just cringe. Yeah, I don't know if this was going for a tone. I think it was just kind of like, hey, you remember how Stephanie, like, doesn't follow orders? Well, it's because Batman's wrong. <laughs> like, the crux of the, the, the moment where she's fighting Firefly, because first we start off with the whole montage of, like, oh, these clothes don't fit, but I guess I can still fight in them. And she goes and she fights Firefly, and he tells her to stay, and she says, no, I'm going. And he gets mad at her for not obeying, and he says, Tim would obey. Like, that's the real thing someone would say. And then she goes, I'm not Tim. And he's like, we'll talk about this later. So then at, back at the cave, it's like, here's your changing room. And I'm like, that does not solve the true problem here, which is not fashion. It's that she cannot, for the life of her, listen to one single suggestion. She just does whatever she wants. And, like, this person acknowledged that, but they didn't tie it into the story in any meaningful way. Also, she, of course immediately gets thrown into a damsel in distress-esque situation with her getting stuck on the tracks of a roller coaster. Let's talk about stereotypical. But yeah, she gets out of it, but she rushes in like an idiot, like Steph does, and gets trapped, <laughs> but manages to get out because, okay, yeah, she's resourceful, and she has training to get out, but then Batman praises her for it, and I'm like, no! <laughs> she almost got herself killed, and somehow, due to plot reasons, when she changed the track over, the roller coaster hit Firefly. Like, really? I had it under control the entire time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm -mm. No, keep telling yourself that. But aren't you glad there's only one story of Steph? <laughs> <sighs> and then we got one of the best stories there was from Tomasi. And Jimenez, called the Super Sons, my best friend, which, I'm not gonna lie, I enjoyed it a little bit more, because I am happy to see that us Metropolitans were not left out of this Gothamite-centric oh story. Oh my gosh. It was a pleasure to see John Kent. It was amazing to see an actual, good depiction of Lois Lane. Yep. It was something I have missed. I hope she comes back. And it was also just kind of great to see the Lois just waving that, I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, let me correct your essay. John's like, no, mom. And it's also just very cute to see that John took after his mother when it comes to his spelling. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very cute story. Tomasi, you're so biased. You, They said, write a Robin story. And he said, you mean a Superboy story? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did enjoy the one Superboy story in this. <laughs> it was my favorite, actually. It was just well written. It was well paced. It was consistent. The art was so good from Jorge Menes. 
so good. Also, I love the fact that like there were so many times where him and Damien were fighting. It's like, yeah, we get a like we used to fight a lot, but we get along now. And it's like, I help him with his homework or something or whatever. And Damien's just like, hehe, I got the A plus. And John's like, rrr, 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 and just chewing on the end of his buddy. pencil. It's like, yeah, someone's a study uh, buddy. Someone's exaggerating their essay a little bit to fluff themselves up and make themselves feel a little bit better. When I'm sorry, but. <laughs> I also thought it was so sugary sweet, but it was very cute how he falls asleep while writing it. And there's, <laughs> of course, Damien breaks into his room just reading over it. He's like, I knew it. <laughs> God, I, I love this one so much because I miss their little like buddy cop act that yeah. they got going on mm-hmm. between them, which is why I love Batman Superman so much. And this is just like the mini teen version of it. And Tomasi just loves both of these characters so much and he shines Damien in a good light like obviously he's still he's still Damien but there's good sides to it John oh my gosh like Joe said I'm so happy to actually see John Kent like actual John Kent actual 12 year old John Kent and actual Lois Lane like I don't know who that kid is in um the 31st century and who that woman is in superman or action comics those those aren't or chicago hotel oh i'm sorry she's back in metropolis now that was an amazing story i love seeing lois and john i would have really loved to see a superman and dick grayson story if there was going to be like an extra robin story in there because robin dick loved superman so much growing up and he is the main inspiration for the name nightwing stop trying to stick the S in everything. Never. Then we had the last story of this anniversary, which, of course, like most of these milestone ones, it is a continuation for what's going on in the main DC continuity. This was a Damien story written by Robbie Thompson with the art by Ramon Villalobos and Tamra Bon Villain. Bon Villain. I'm going to say Bond villain because it sounds like <laughs> she was supposed to be in the next James Bond film. It's Bond villain. It's Bond villain. It was just another one of those like stereotypical stories where the father and the son, they have so much to say to each other, but none of them want to say it first. It was unnecessarily edgy. I, this art kind of... The art was horrifyingly bad. <laughs> I feel like I've seen the art before somewhere, and I can't remember. You notice how most of the panels are empty of any background, and the backgrounds they do show are, like, one line, or, like, they look, oh, they're so bad. And the faces! Like, what's with all the lines on the faces? Batman looks like he just ate a lime! He just... <laughs> oh, yeah, all the extra lines in his lips make him look like they're always pursed in a comical way. The only cool thing I will say about this because I don't really have much to say about it besides just uh, utter confusion uh, because I'm not reading Teen Titans so apparently this might connect more to what the heck Damien's doing. Yeah. I liked kind of like that role reversal like the very beginning was Bruce looking at the photo looking at the Robin outfit going to Alfred's grave and then we get the plot and then it's the opposite with Damien at the end it's him going to Alfred's grave looking at the Robin costume going to look at the photos at home. It's like a bookending kind of thing, but also it 
bookends with the first story that they were trying to do with the fact that I think this is Damien's trying to push away from what his father wants. Like his ideals are now very different than Batman and very different than what he thought the ideal of Robin is. He's starting to create his own ideas of what it means to be a hero and things that you can do as a hero and he's kind of distancing himself like the previous Robins before him. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of um, Damien kind of straying away from, like, trying to be more like Dick Grayson and starting to kind of go down more towards, like, that Jason Todd path. Yeah, he really is. Like, to quickly summarize what is going on in Teen Titans, I haven't read it, but, like, I've seen a couple things referenced. Basically, uh, what also caused his team to disband is that Damien started having all of their villains locked underneath Titan's Tower. What? Instead of putting them in a regular prison, he started just having them as prisoners underneath Titan's Tower. And then the other Titans found out about it. And they're like, why are you doing this? Like, are you insane? He's done this before. Why is anyone shocked? Exactly. Uh, but this whole wiping their minds thing, that's new. I didn't what? know about that. In this story, he says how he's been wiping his villains' minds. Oh. He's essentially, like, lobotomizing them. This is weird. Yeah, this is very identity crisis. Damien, honey, small other little tiny good, like, oh, well, that's where Damien's been. Like, they mention Batman's, like, I haven't seen Damien since kind of, like, all this has gone down, like, the death of Alfred. Like, I haven't seen my son. I haven't been able to talk to him. Because that was one thing I know we complained about in Tomasi's running batman we're like where the heck is your son like all we see are sticky notes on your refrigerator this is explaining what's going on damien is separating himself from his father he's running away from him he's leaving breadcrumbs because he wants to be followed he wants to be reached out to but he doesn't want to make that first move and it's going to continue in teen titans annual number two overall like i said like it was a very eh like anniversary special book for me i wasn't too crazy about it that was it though and then we have two other anniversary specials coming out actually next month which i don't believe there's any others this year that i know of but april 15th we have the catwoman 80th anniversary special which i already pre-ordered and we also have the joker 80th anniversary special coming out april 29th i'm wondering if they're going to torture my fave and write her completely out of character and be terrible to her or if they're going to just be good and I actually have hope for this one because people love Catwoman right now and I've seen a lot of interpretations and a lot of them don't hurt me anymore I've been burned for three years by the same man <laughs> nothing can faze me now I thought Batman was easy to write I was wrong and we discovered how wrong I was. Muse, are there any special things coming out for Marvel? Marvel is really leading into the upcoming event that's going to be happening later in April called Empire, so get ready for more of that. It's kind of the, the Kree-Skrull War finally coming to a head. Teddy Altman finally kind of taking his place as kind of like the emperor of space at this point so we'll see where this goes the main players in this are the avengers and the fantastic four and there's also some side stories with the x-men and a couple of others 
I also want to just mention really quickly because we got a couple of DC's kids graphic novels that came out a couple weeks ago or so. I finally picked up Zatanna and the House of Secrets. It's really cute. So if you like Zatanna or even Clarion, uh, he makes an appearance. Definitely check that out. And I was actually thoroughly impressed by the Oracle Code, mostly just about Barbara Gordon, a younger version of her before her being a superhero. It's just kind of Barbara in the chair. Really good stories. So if you're down and you got nothing else to read while you're quarantined, <laughs> we almost went the whole way without saying that. Thank you. I know. You did it. You stumbled at the finish line. Well, it's actually smart of us to like recommend comics right now. Stay inside and read, you nerds. <laughs> <laughs> just a gentle reminder to just stay safe, wash your hands, hoard more food than toilet paper. You guys got this. You know what to do. As long as you can order online, I do recommend that you do. Just be mindful about where those packages are coming from. Bram down with Clorox. It only lasts for 24 hours on cardboard, though. That's the surface it lasts the least amount of time on. That's good, but you know people are touching those. People are touching everything. That's all we've got today. I hope that you enjoyed this special discussion episode, and we'll be back next week with episode six of the Court of Outlets podcast. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comic you want us to cover next week, and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to our podcasts on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. Take care.